Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an important decision that could affect how HIV-positive employees are treated in the workplace. Former Illinois Congressman Aaron Schock has finally told the world the worst-kept secret in the world. Former Vice President Joe Biden has released a comprehensive proposal outlining his plan to advance LGBTQ equality. And Netflix has canceled RuPaul's scripted series, AJ and the Queen. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an important decision this week that should help change current efforts to end the HIV epidemic. The court upheld a preliminary injunction against the Air Force, which appealed the decision of a lower court in order to move forward with the discharge of two airmen simply because they were living with HIV. What's important here is a federal appellate court took a look at the state of modern HIV medicine and recognized that people living with HIV can safely perform any job in the world, including the job of U.S. service members. The ruling makes clear that employment discrimination against people with HIV is never permissible, as well as sending a message to our leaders to change course in regard to the stigma that continues to affect HIV-positive individuals. The two plaintiffs in this case have served in the Air Force for over 15 years between them. Proud Americans who love serving their country, they planned on doing so for the foreseeable future. During their time in the Air Force, they've been deployed many times, including to combat zones overseas. But when they received their diagnoses for HIV, those deployments ceased. The Defense Department's policy since the 1980s, when the HIV epidemic began 40 years ago, has held that service members living with HIV were required to remain in the U.S. Additionally, people living with HIV have not been allowed to enlist. But 15 years after effective treatments for HIV, like antiretroviral therapy, became available, things did change a bit. The Navy began to allow service members to deploy to some large platform ships. But the Air Force and the Army have not shifted their deployment policies in light of these modern medical achievements. In fact, the Trump administration pushed the Air Force to reverse course by discharging some airmen based on their HIV diagnosis. This policy change prompted the lawsuit that became the subject of the Fourth Circuit's appellate review. The unanimous decision by a three-judge panel on the Fourth Circuit summed up its opinion thusly. I quote, The government's explanations for why it has imposed an effective ban on deploying HIV-positive service members are at odds with modern science. These service members, like other HIV-positive individuals with undetectable viral loads, have no symptoms of HIV. They take medication, usually one pill, for some people two, and need regular but routine blood testing. They cannot transmit the virus through normal daily activities, and their risk of transmitting the virus through battlefield exposure, if the virus can be transmitted at all, is extremely low. 
Although transmission through blood transfusion is possible, these service members have already been ordered not to donate blood. But the government did not consider these realities when discharging these service members, instead relying on assumptions and categorical determinations. As a result, the Air Force denied these service members an individualized determination of their fitness for military service. The two service members will now return to the district court to prove up what the Fourth Circuit saw so clearly in the record on appeal, that the government has not and cannot reconcile these policies with current medical evidence. The clear message of this ruling about the relative ease of treatment, the capabilities of people living with HIV, the low risk of occupational transmission in the absence of treatment, and the extremely low or non-existent risk in even the most extreme circumstances if a person is in treatment should put employers all across the country on notice that discrimination against people living with HIV is never justified. Disgraced former Illinois Congressman Aaron Schock has finally told the world the worst-kept secret in the world. In a lengthy personal essay posted on his Instagram account as well as his personal website, the Republican, who famously voted against LGBTQ interests while in the House of Representatives, tells the world, I am gay. The admission comes just days after photos surfaced of him getting cozy at the Fasano Hotel pool in Rio de Janeiro with circuit party producer Iliad Cohen. In his essay, he said he's ready to make a public statement after working through a list of people we wanted to tell firsthand over the past year, including family members. Shock writes, For those who know me, and for many who only know of me, this will come as no surprise. The fact that I'm gay is just one of those things in my life in need of explicit affirmation to remove any doubt and to finally validate who I am as a person. In many ways, I regret the time wasted in not having done so sooner. He goes on to share his story, which began in the rural Midwest and a family centered in faith and its particular traditions. It was in church life, memorizing Bible verses, going to church camp, attending services at least twice a week, that Shock says he thrived. He chronicles his path through high school, where he realized his goal-focused personality helped him to force his thoughts in other directions when he felt drawn in the direction of his natural orientation. After holding several local public offices, he says his arrival in Washington in 2009 as the youngest member of Congress was a heady experience as he received a lot of attention, which he admits he enjoyed. But soon, he was aware of speculation he feels occurred because he was single, how he dressed, and his, quote, preoccupation with physical fitness. Soon after, he says untruthful stories were written by the news media, referencing the scandal that revolved around his office in Washington being redecorated in the style of a hit TV show, Shock shares he wondered why the news media would run with an utterly false story about me and a show I'd never even heard of and still haven't seen, Downton Abbey. Along the way, he takes swipes at the woke media, calling reports about him another way, albeit sophisticated, to be teased about being gay. He explains his work in Congress included being responsive to the interests of his Illinois constituents, writing, Perhaps correctly, perhaps not, I assume that revealing myself as their gay congressman 
would not go over well. I put my ambition over the truth, which not only hurt me, but others as well. He adds, I also, in retrospect, realize that I was just looking for more excuses to buy time and avoid being the person I've always been. Shock details the investigation that led to his resignation from Congress, during which he planned to come out to his family, but felt it would be best to wait until after the legal wrangling was done. Once the charges of improper use of campaign funds were dropped, in exchange for repaying $68,000 to his congressional campaign fund and $42,000 to the IRS, he again planned to come out to his family. But first, he attended the Coachella Music Festival last spring, and photos of him with assorted men reached his mother before he did. When he spoke to her, she and the rest of his family reportedly did not take the news of his sexuality well. Quote, Pictures online made clear what I was en route to tell my mother in person. She told me to turn around and go back to L.A. I wasn't welcome at home for Easter. Like many LGBTQ people who go through a similar reaction from family members, Shock holds out hope his family will eventually come around. It's at this point in my report I should clarify, for those who may not have followed Aaron Shock's adventures over the past few years, that many in the LGBTQ community have had issue with Shock because, while serving in Congress, while in the closet, he voted numerous times against LGBTQ interests. In his essay, Shock justifies his anti-LGBTQ positions and votes, which include opposing same-sex marriage, voting against the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, as well as voting against the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act by pointing to political leaders at the time. The 38-year-old Republican writes, In 2008, as a Republican running in a conservative district, I took the same position on gay marriage held by my party's nominee, John McCain. That position against marriage equality, though, was also then held by Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama as well. Now, while Mr. Shock is correct about that timeline, what he misses is that McCain, Obama, and Clinton weren't secretly gay voting against their own interests. Obama never supported a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage. In 2010, as Obama was working to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Shock voted against that effort. In 2011, Hillary Clinton famously told the United Nations Assembly that, quote, gay rights are human rights and human rights are gay rights, end quote. In fact, Shock's record on LGBTQ issues was so negative that the human rights campaign gave him a rating of zero. So, to compare himself with Obama and Clinton is intellectually disingenuous. At the very least, they evolved on those issues a decade ago, while Shock, at the age of 38, is just now coming to terms with himself. Now I'll add that everyone comes out in their own time, absolutely, but everyone doesn't run for public office and then vote against a community they were a part of. The former congressman does add that if he were still in office today, he would support LGBTQ issues, quote, in every way he could. He also hopes that sharing his story will, quote, help shine a light for young people raised the way I was, looking for a path out of darkness and shame, end quote. In closing his essay, he says family members still suggest so-called conversion therapy to him. 
but at a recent wedding, his mother did inquire as to whether he was seeing someone, and if so, she is interested in meeting him. LGBTQ media has covered Shock's story for quite some time over the past few years, mainly because he is one of us, but wield his position in a manner that didn't help but hurt the LGBTQ community. In his post, he never apologizes for those political calculations, nor offers a simple, today I regret those votes. That said, I do celebrate that Chalk has come to a place in his life that he can live his truth out loud. I encourage you to read the full essay on his website at ashock.net. On the other end of the political spectrum, current frontrunner for the Democratic nomination for president, former Vice President Joe Biden, has released a lengthy, comprehensive plan to advance LGBTQ equality if elected president. The detailed 17-page plan begins with the statement, Joe Biden believes that every human being should be treated with respect and dignity and be able to live without fear no matter who they are or who they love. That's followed by a long list of policies and executive actions Biden promises to advance from the Oval Office. He begins by pledging to make passage of the Equality Act during his first 100 days as president a top priority. He'll also take action using his executive authority to reverse the discriminatory actions of the Trump-Pence administration. As in the Obama administration, he will reaffirm that the Civil Rights Act's Title VII prohibition against employment discrimination based on sex applies to discrimination based on gender identity. Biden's plan includes reversing the transgender military ban, ending the Trump administration's policy of discharging military service members with HIV, and work to support the unique needs of LGBTQ veterans. Biden will repeal the Trump-Pence policy that allows adoption and foster care agencies receiving federal funds to discriminate against LGBTQ families and work to ensure those child welfare agencies put the interests of children first, including those who are LGBTQ. In addition, Biden will work with the U.S. Department of State and other federal agencies to ensure the equal treatment of same-sex couples and their children in the application of all federal programs and services, especially with respect to citizenship eligibility requirements and immigration and naturalization proceedings. Noting that there are approximately 3 million LGBTQ people in the United States older than age 50, Biden promises to champion passage of the Ruthie and Connie LGBT Elder Americans Act to ensure non-discriminatory treatment of LGBTQ older Americans. Transgender and non-binary people often experience violence and harassment without identification documents that accurately reflect their gender identity. Biden will support state and federal efforts to provide every transgender or non-binary person the option of changing their gender marker to M, F, or X on government identifications, passports, and other documentation. He also promises to work with the Food and Drug Administration to ensure regulations on blood donations by LGBTQ people are based on science, not fiction or stigma. In regard to LGBTQ youth, Biden will reinstate Obama-era guidance to allow transgender students to access bathrooms and locker rooms in accordance with their gender identity and work to enact the Tyler Clementi Higher Education Anti-Harassment Act and the Safe Schools Act. 
He will also work to end suicide among LGBTQ youth and address homelessness among those young people. Also part of the plan are proposals for combating violence against trans women of color, strengthening the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, supporting LGBTQ survivors of violence, guaranteeing the Affordable Care Act's non-discrimination protections, ensuring fair treatment of LGBTQ people in the criminal justice system, and more. The document also includes a list of Biden's record on LGBTQ rights over the years, from supporting the right to marry in a historic Meet the Press interview in 2012, to leading the fight to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, participating in the It Gets Better campaign in 2010 to support LGBTQ youth, and being an original co-sponsor for the Employment Non-Discrimination Act to prohibit bias based on sexual orientation in employment. There are many more details and policies listed in the Biden plan, and I encourage you to read the full document by clicking over to his official campaign site. I'll have a link in the show notes. I should add that Senator Bernie Sanders, Biden's opponent in the Democratic race right now, has also put forth his own list of policies regarding LGBTQ rights and protections, although not as lengthy or detailed. You can find Sanders' plan on his website, and I will have that link in the show notes as well. Professional golfer Scott Piercy found out the cost of posting homophobic content online after he shared an anti-gay meme about former Democratic presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg. Three of his sponsors quickly severed ties with the 41-year-old in the wake of the backlash. On Monday, Piercy shared a meme on his Instagram account featuring alt-right mascot Pepe the Frog, reporting the news for QNN, referencing QAnon, the far-right conspiracy theory detailing a supposed secret plot by an alleged deep state against Donald Trump. The headline in the graphic read, Peter pulls out early from behind, with a photo of Buddha judge looking surprised. Clearly a take on anal sex. The internet quickly clapped back with many suggesting the post violated the PGA Tour's conduct unbecoming a professional policy. By Tuesday, Piercy issued a non-apology via social media. He wrote, Whenever I post, my intent is never to offend. I want to apologize if any of my recent story posts have been offensive. I will do better. The PGA Tour acknowledged the social media activity, telling Golf Digest, We were made aware of Scott's post and are disappointed in the lack of judgment used. But three of Piercy's sponsors went further than that. Titleist, Footjoy, and Jay Lindbergh quickly ended their sponsorships with Piercy. A statement by Jay Lindbergh to Golf.com read, As a global lifestyle brand, we strive to support and show our love and compassion for all demographics around the world. When we choose our ambassadors, we choose individuals we know will represent us well on and off the golf course. The claims from Scott Piercy were unacceptable and far from our views and beliefs. We have since terminated our contract with Mr. Piercy. Although no official statements were released by Titleist or Footjoy, the companies did confirm to Golf.com that they had canceled all business relationships with Piercy following the controversy. In international news, Russian President Vladimir Putin reiterated his opposition to marriage equality last month 
And now, he has submitted a draft amendment to the Russian Constitution that would limit marriage to one man and one woman, according to a member of parliament. The amendment's language also mentions faith in God and a nod to the influential Russian Orthodox Church. The Russian leader tied the issue of same-sex marriage to parenting last month, saying in a meeting that, quote, As far as parent number one and parent number two goes, I've already spoken publicly about this and I'll repeat it again. As long as I'm president, this will not happen. There will be mom and dad, end quote. Putin's homophobia has already had an enormous impact on Russia. After the passage of a 2013 law that bans so-called gay propaganda, which means any positive mention of LGBTQ identity that would be accessible to minors, Russia has become very homophobic and transphobic. Additionally, Putin has largely ignored the hunting down and killing of LGBTQ people in Chechnya, a semi-autonomous republic within Russia. And sadly, recent reports show acceptance of LGBTQ people is declining among young people in Russia, thanks in great part to Putin's policies and public statements. RuPaul's Drag Race has canceled Season 12 contestant Sherry Pie after numerous allegations of catfishing young men for nude photos went viral. Aspiring actor Ben Shimkus posted on his Facebook account an emotionally jarring story regarding Joey Guglielmi, also known as Sherry Pie, who made her Drag Race debut this past Friday. My Instinct Magazine colleague Mickey Keating first broke the news of Shimkus's story with an exclusive interview with him regarding his experience with Guglielmi. Posing as a casting director for a prestigious theater company in New York City, Googly Mailey would entice young male actors to send explicit photos and video clips as audition materials for a new play to be presented. After Shimkus's post went viral, several others came forward with similar stories. Eventually, Googly Mailey took to Facebook himself and copped to the accusations. He wrote, This is Joey. I want to start by saying how sorry I am that I caused such trauma and pain and how horribly embarrassed and disgusted I am with myself. I know that the pain and hurt that I've caused will never go away and I know that what I did was wrong and truly cruel. Until being on RuPaul's Drag Race, I never really understood how much my mental health and taking care of things meant. I learned on that show how important loving yourself is and I don't think I've ever loved myself. I've been seeking help and receiving treatment since coming back to New York City. I truly apologize to everyone I have hurt with my actions. I also want to say how sorry I am to my sisters of season 12 and honestly the whole network and production company. All I can do is change the behavior and that starts with me and doing the work. End quote. In the wake of Googly Mailey's admission, a spokesperson for RuPaul's Drag Race tweeted this announcement. In light of recent developments and Sherry Pie's statement, Sherry Pie has been disqualified from RuPaul's Drag Race. Out of respect for the hard work of the other queens, VH1 will air the season as planned. Sherry will not appear in the grand finale scheduled to be filmed later this spring. Sherry's entree to RuPaul's Drag Race and cancel culture began this week. In related news, Netflix, the streaming platform, has canceled RuPaul's scripted series, AJ and the Queen, after only one season. 
RuPaul tweeted about the show's cancellation on Friday morning, writing, End of the road for AJ and the Queen. Netflix has decided to not extend our road trip across America. Thank you for all the love and support. We're so very proud of the work. The show premiered in January to mixed reviews from critics, with a 53% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Ashley Stevens of Salon wrote, While AJ and the Queen is definitely an endearing look at the man underneath the wigs, the series as a whole feels a little beneath RuPaul, whose status as mainstream cultural icon is already decidedly solidified. Robin Barr of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, The show's nostalgia for slapstick, false identities, chase sequences, and general let's-get-out-of-here hijinks may test some viewers' loyalty to RuPaul, but the narrative gradually evolves into a sensitive exploration of created families, a vital theme in the lives of many people in the LGBTQ community. With Netflix giving no details on the viewership of their shows, it's hard to say exactly what the reason was that RuPaul's comedy drama wasn't picked up for a second season. And finally, Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who rose from virtual anonymity to become the first openly gay candidate to make a high-profile run for the Democratic presidential nomination, ended his bid for the White House this week. After the South Carolina primary, where he only garnered 3% of the black vote, a strong base for the Democratic Party, it became clear that Buttigieg, who won the Iowa caucuses and came in a strong second in New Hampshire, saw no clear path forward towards the nomination. Prior to Super Tuesday, the biggest primary day of the year, Buttigieg announced he was suspending his campaign and endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden. Buttigieg is to be lauded that in looking forward, he saw no path for winning the nomination and understood that his leaving the race could benefit Joe Biden, another candidate with which Buttigieg shared the moderate lane. NBC News reported that Buttigieg decided he didn't want to be the guy to keep a stronger nominee who the Democratic Party could rally around from getting the nomination. It is worth noting that many political folks, much smarter than I, have speculated as to whether the vote-counting debacle in Iowa, which caused the results to be delayed for several days, might have muddied his historic achievement and perhaps hurt his candidacy to some extent. Had he gotten the clean win, would that perhaps have propelled him to beating Senator Bernie Sanders in the New Hampshire primary where instead he came in second? We'll never know. I want to say a few words about Mayor Pete Buttigieg and how his campaign has filled me, personally, with pride. Regardless of his withdrawal from the Democratic primary, Pete is a winner. He was the first openly gay candidate for a major political party to take his spot on the debate stage, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with his competitors. As I first mentioned, he won Iowa, and that's huge. An openly gay presidential candidate won the first-in-the-nation Iowa caucus. Wow. He won debates. And while being the winner is highly subjective, I think we can agree, whether entire debates or high-point moments, he won. And he won remarkable media coverage. The pundits unanimously made note that he was one of the most well-spoken of the candidates. And he won over the other Democratic candidates. They all admired his calm and his eloquence. And he, along with his husband Chaston, won hearts and minds of Americans. As his campaign progressed, it became less about Pete being the gay candidate and more about Pete being the most competent. 
As he rose in the polls, it was less about hugging his husband and more about the size of the crowds he drew. People from all walks of life and from all corners of our country came out to hear, see, and cheer a gay man running for president. For my LGBTQ listeners, because we are gay and we have friends and family who know we are gay, we can often forget that plenty of people still don't understand exactly what gay is. Some older folks may think gay is Liberace. For others, Cam and Mitchell on the ABC sitcom Modern Family. And for young LGBTQ people, it might be Lil Nas X. For most of what we call Middle America or Small Town USA, many of those folks' concepts of gays are characters on television, in the movies, or musicians. Pete took his campaign and the totality of his life to parks, counties, and townships everywhere. He displayed an intelligence, demeanor, and clear understanding of what he was doing. We watched him listen to the hopes, dreams, and needs of so many, and he responded in a way that proved he actually heard them. For instance, when he helped a little nine-year-old boy in Denver come out. Young Zachary Rowe submitted a question at a rally asking, Would you help me to tell the world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you. After noting that Zachary looked pretty strong already, Mayor Pete, in that moment, reminded us that we never know where and how our actions might impact others. He told Zachary, quote, You'll never know who's taking their lead from you, who's watching you and deciding that they can be a little braver because you have been brave. He added, You'll never know whose life you might be affecting right now just by standing here. Pete and Zachary both won that night, and we did too. We were affected by Pete being Pete in that moment. With a campaign built on character and service, you could hear hints of Barack Obama in his speeches. There was something almost Kennedy-esque in his campaign style. And when he saw the writing on the wall, he threw his support to Joe Biden, showing us that this whole thing was more than just about him, that something tremendously important was at stake. In the future, some will say the young mayor who signed up to be deployed to Afghanistan was brave. They'll be right. Some will say the Harvard graduate, Rhodes Scholar, who speaks seven languages and plays multiple musical instruments, was uber smart. They'll be right, too. And some will say he fell short. But I disagree. Pete made people better understand what gay is. Pete stood tall, and because of his candidacy... I stood a little bit taller. In reflection, I think not only of all the LGBTQ young people out there, but the closeted high school me, back in Fort Worth, Texas, who had not ever been able to imagine an openly gay man being a top-tier contender for the White House. The super cool thing is that, for LGBT kids today, they won't have to imagine it. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report, If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing it with your friends. I like to think of the Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.